Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fuckocrats? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it on the show today. I talked to the director, Greta Gerwig, the actor and uh, director, Greta Gerwig, about her new film, Lady Bird. I'm happy that Greta's here today. I hope you feel all right. Uh, it, it has been a, a, a roller coaster, continues to be a roller coaster culturally and politically, and, and I find it exhausting, but I am trying to find some space where I can uh, you know, be okay with the life that I've worked for and, and, and uh, settled into. But man, it's, it's, it's hard. But I'll tell you, you know, everything that's going on, I, somehow or another has made me appreciate um, life a bit more. I always sort of took it for granted. You know, you take life for granted. I'm living. And you sort of avoid your uh, ultimate destiny uh, any way that you can on a daily basis. But now I'm sort of like, it might happen. It's obviously going to happen, but it might happen. You know, I've talked about this before. I feel like I'm being morose. I've, I watched some comedy. I did some comedy. I'm trying to uh, continue evolving my craft. I hope you all are as well. I hope you're trying to do the best you can do so you can at least feel good about that. I am in the garage. I am in between homes. I am, uh, you know, spending equal time almost at both places in a way, doing the work here at the uh, here at the cat ranch and doing the work at the other place. I uh, was outdoors in front of my new house. I met the woman who is the head of the neighborhood watch. Yes, I met her, and she introduced her herself. And then pointed out the homes of uh, who lived in where and where the other neighborhood watch people and who her co-watch person was, Caddy Corner, gave her my email. So I will be getting the coyote updates, the uh, the uh, suspicious drifter updates, the, uh, the water breaking, uh, water main breaking updates. The uh, did anyone hear that updates? I haven't been on a neighborhood watch in a while. I had one. I was on one up here. And it just got to be a bit much. It got to be a bit much. It just got to be. I couldn't keep up. And I was constantly looking out my window because there's always one or two people on the neighborhood watch, which that seems to be their life. That is their life. And, you, you know, you got you to gotta pull out, man. I had to get out of that one. I had to get out of that loop. We'll see how the new loop goes. Sarah, the painter's on one. And she gets updates about cats and coyotes and people breaking into cars. And it just, uh, I got enough on my mind with the broad-based fear. 
I don't need to, uh, you know, I need, to, there's the, the, uh, the micro fears within, the macro fears from without, and then there's the just around the block fears that uh, I guess they're probably more important than the larger ones, the umbrella fears that we all have uh, because of what's happening in the world. But uh, I don't know, trying to get past it, man. But I watched some comedy. That was the point. I'm trying to like do the, the one thing that, uh, you know, I've been doing all my life that is the craft that I have honed uh, with the most diligence. And see what I can do. See where I can take that. What do I got to do to challenge myself and make it exciting next? What do I got to do? So I watched, um, I do like watching comedy. I, I, do, I do find myself when I go to the comedy store, you know, going in to see people and like, you know, I just want to get a nice laugh. I, I could use a nice laugh. You know, I, and I, I appreciate getting a nice laugh. And not everybody can do it to me. Like last night, I like, got, got a couple, uh, couple of Kyle Dunnigan laughs. He uh, brought me up and he, 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 he made me laugh a couple times. That was good. I think he was really the only one I watched for very long. But at home, I w- I've, I've hooked up my television and I guess every television comes with Netflix and I watched some comedy. I watched uh, Brian Regan's new special. I always like watching Brian Regan. I'm always going to get a, at least a few deep, you know, solid kind of like can't stop it laughter. Uh, and that, it, was a, it was a good special. I, I, I enjoy watching Brian and then I watched Jerry Seinfeld special. And I have to be honest with you, I have, um, I don't think I've ever watched him do stand-up, really, with, you know, in terms of paying attention. I had, I decided that he really wasn't my thing a long time ago as a stand-up. I don't know, I, well, I do know why. I, I, I absolutely do know why. I Obviously, you know, I'm not taking anything away. I'm not going to criticize Jerry Seinfeld. He's, he's done all right for himself as a stand-up it was just never my bag i never felt any depth to it uh and and i i never felt that yeah i never felt connected to it because i didn't know that i I couldn't tell whether he was really connected to it uh i I thought it was you know structurally fine but i don't even think i paid that much attention till the other night when i watched his new special where he goes back to the comic strip and he talks a bit about his life and then i think he was doing you know classic bits that he did early on but i watched the whole thing because uh, I, I guess I'm in a space now where I can take it in and not be judgmental and just like, well, why don't you try to appreciate Jerry Seinfeld? I mean, it's never too late. You know, people love this guy. Why don't you uh, take it in? You know, I mean, you, there's plenty of people that are peers of his that you like. There's plenty of people that show up in that special who who I used to enjoy watching. Mark Schiff, who has been on this show, uh, was one of Jerry's early friends. I, I, I always got a kick out of Mark. But I watched Jerry... And I, I saw what he does. I see what he does. I see the technique. I see the structure. I see the uh, commitment to, uh, to uh, the script and to craft and to you know, what it is exactly that Jerry Seinfeld does, how he builds a bit, how he you know, sort of peppers it all with punchlines and how he talks about things that you would never notice. In your, you don't know whether you're happy that he noticed them or not, but uh, now, you, now you're going to notice them. And maybe get a laugh in the future, I guess, is the point. It's like, I would have never thought of that. Now I am thinking about it. And now next time I see that, uh, maybe I'll get a little chuckle. I'll get a little chuckle. And that's not nothing. That, you know, helping people get through the day by, you know, laughing at mundane bullshit is, you know, certainly it's, it's in the plus side. But uh, he did say something very interesting that I found very revealing. And I think the, the fundamental difference you know, between whatever he does and whatever I do. Again, I'm not comparing myself to him. He's had uh, tremendous success as a stand-up. But, but I don't feel that him and I would get along, and I don't feel that he has any, uh, that I'm on his radar. But whatever the case, 
he said something in the special. He said, I don't, I'm paraphrasing. He said, I don't really care if uh, people like me or not. I'm not concerned whether or not people like me. I just want them to like the joke, which is interesting, isn't it? Like, I imagine that I, I, I want people to like me. I, uh, obviously, I do. I don't think that's necessarily why I do stand up. I'm not one of those people that needs love up there. Like, uh, uh, you know, I need to, to feel like I'm alive and present and in the moment and connecting with the audience. But I, I don't know that I'm looking for love, but I am looking to be seen. And, and by, by being seen, I mean, I want them to see who I am. And it seems to me that is the fundamental difference. Like if I do an observational bit, I'm going to put a little bit of me in there, whether it's my neurotic insanity or my you know, paralyzing dread and fear or my, my own sort of darkness or my own sort of uh, you know, uh, obsessive take on, on something. It is specifically mine. And that is you know, a, a big part of my standup. I think it's more important to me than the actual writing of the joke. So that is the fundamental difference. And that is what I always felt about him is that I, I just could not figure out who the hell he was. And I'm not sure that was a good thing. I mean, it felt like, you know, what's that guy hiding? What is that guy hiding behind all this talk of, of, uh, of, of nuance, compulsive, observational nuance? What, what's, what's behind that? And I guess you see it a little bit, but to me, that moment where he said, I don't care if people like me, which, you know, I will extend to, I don't care if they know me. And a matter of fact, I'd rather they didn't just laugh at the joke and put it out there. It's like, that is the barrage that I put in front of me to protect myself from you. Now I've used comedy to disarm people and to, you know, uh, I've done it defensively. I've done it uh, embracingly. I've done it a lot of different ways. But the point being, in thinking about how I want to, uh, to do it in the future, I've been experimenting with persistence and uh, creating a, a, a sort of nonstop giggling. I'm into creating nonstop sort of like giggling in people. There are people that can do that. It's a very specific thing. That comes from a persistence, usually through repetition, where you just sort of get a roll going and you just keep pushing it and pushing and pushing and i and i know i can do it but you know i I don't do it uh you know consistently and i don't do it necessarily on purpose so i'm going to try to do that on purpose obviously i'm not doing it here i'm not doing it right now i'm talking about doing it right so i I saw the disaster artist but maybe i'll talk about that thursday when uh when my guest james franco joins us but today today on the show i talked to greta gerwig the director the director of Lady Bird. I've seen her in the Noah Baumbach movies. <laughs> Why did I say that like that? I've seen her in uh, the other movies she's been in. I've seen her in movies. But she directed this film, Lady Bird, with, uh, with uh, Saoirse Ronan. Is that her name? Come on! Yes, Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. And I learned how to say her name from watching her monologue on SNL. But the movie Lady Bird is a coming-of-age teen movie about a teenage girl. And, you know, God knows that that terrain has been explored and there are motifs and uh, tropes 
you know, and there, it's a genre in a way. I just want to drop a, some critical terms. But somehow or another, Greta really humanized and, and, and wrote a line with this film that was quite stunning. And uh, Tracy Letts is the father and uh, Laurie Metcalf, both of them, you know, Steppenwolf geniuses. And, and uh, Tracy playing a, he's actually the, the, the sort of uh, slightly uh, beaten down uh, benevolent force, the sweet force in this movie that is the father. But, uh, but it takes place in Sacramento. I have some experience with Sacramento, having performed up there and uh, having spent time in Sacramento. But, but ultimately, this movie is, is, is a beautiful uh, movie. It's a beautiful little movie about a, a, a teenage girl and her parents in Sacramento, you know, growing up, you know, about to finish high school. And it, it just, there's something so natural about it and something so stunning about the performances. And the direction was just right on the mark. It was really a, a great, great film. And I was excited to talk to her. I'm excited when I see a movie and it's, and I, it's great and I get to talk to the person. This is me and Greta. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts per week. How long have you been out here? You came out yesterday? Uh, yeah, I, I've been out here. I was out here the week before. I'm kind of on a lot of planes right now. Yeah. Um, so how do you handle that? All right. Um, mo- mostly all right. Um, do you freak out? I... I have minor freakouts. <laughs> oh, just on on takeoff or landing? Oh no no no! I I'm mostly I'm okay on planes oh. now. I mean, plane. It's sort of just like <laughs> you mean just in life. <laughs> yes, I thought we were just talking in minor, general. <laughs> general freakouts here I, and there. I, I've given over to planes. Yeah. Oh, good for you. You've surrendered. Do you have you given over to planes? You sort of have to after a certain point, unless you want to be exhausted every time you get someplace. I know. I think you, you really don't have control. No, you have to. You have to kind of accept it because. And I think I had a moment where I was like, you can keep being nervous every time this happens, sure. or you can just say, "This is this you, you. This is your life." Sure. If this is the way it ends, this is the way yeah. it ends. I'd rather not. Yeah. I'd rather not picture it. Right. I, I tend to picture it. I picture it. Yeah. Um, I, I picture it. Just I the also, terror, strangers screaming. I, no, 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 no. No? Please don't remind me. No, I actually, I did, um, my, a friend of mine though said something very yeah. comforting to me, which uh, doesn't sound comforting, but was comforting. Yeah. My friend George said, yeah, but 
if you die in a plane cra- crash, that would be awesome. Oh, really? And I said, why? And they'd say, and he said, well, everyone would say, did you did you hear about Greta? How'd she die? Yeah. And they'd say, a plane crash. She was on that plane. There she was on the plane. Oh, and I was like, yeah. that. I was like, that sounds terrible. But also, I'm glad that my friend George thinks it sounds. Yeah, that he found it. He found it comforting. Or he sort of thought it sounded. I don't know. The the one thing a guy said to me once that I found helpful was uh, he said, "You know, they're built to fly." Yes, <laughs> that that doesn't comfort me. No, no, they're not just sending no, it like I hope this that. works. Or, uh, planes want to fly. Yeah, oh, you've heard that before. I don't. This, for yeah. some reason, that doesn't. You know, but when do you when you fly a lot, eventually you'll have that horrendous, terrifying flight that you judge yes, like yes. that that kind of like breaks it open for you. Like you have a precedent. Oh please. I don't you have a precedent. No, it's I, not, I the, not the conversation it. we want. I can't I can't right. I'm just so s i am just I know it'll happen at some point and I mean just that something will happen. I'm just get No, really you'll scared. be fine. It's done don't be but, you, but you've yeah, I'm just talking about turbulence. I'm not talking about the worst yeah, of it. Yeah. Exactly. So I saw the new movie. Oh yes. I've yes. seen you in other movies. Mm-hmm. Like I'm familiar with you. You're familiar with me. <laughs> you know, I don't know everything. <laughs> I haven't seen Please, everything. I'm so glad you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen enough. Okay, good. Um, and I, you know, I worked with Joe Swanberg a couple times. Yes, that's right. Yes, on that's his right. series Easy. Right. I've had right. Joe in here. I've had. I don't know if he's still your boyfriend, but I had Noah in here. Yes. I've had, we have yes. common friends. I yeah. think at least those two guys. Have I know. Been on I, I talked with Noah this morning. Um, About he this, he, he said he really liked talking to you. He did. Yeah. Oh, good. That was a while back. Yeah. Yeah. He, he says he really, and he doesn't. He he's not. He doesn't say that about uh, everything. <laughs> yeah, I think we connected. I think I, I, I got through. You yeah. know, he's like a New York guy. Yes, yes, he's a New York guy. <laughs> I just saw his New York movie, his Meyerowitz, new New York, the yeah, Meyerowitz story. It's great. It is good. Yeah, it, I I liked it. He got some pretty uh, you know painfully uh, uh, kind of angry performances out of a couple of funny dudes. I know. I mean, they both. I mean, they have to, all of the actors break my heart. But the I don't know. There's this one line in it where he's where Adam's saying, "I may." He says something like, I may, oh, "We needed to believe he was a genius, yeah. otherwise he was just an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> which I just that's just, just the best line but isn't that true with all fathers I mean especially yeah. as a guy like yeah. you know at some point you, you know it, it all breaks down but you know you yeah. sort of for a while believe that your dad's pretty great you know it's sort of in the it's in it's part of the rule book oh yeah you know I think as a not having not being a son to a father I don't I don't know that I totally ever quite understood that. Yeah, in, it, in, it, in, uh, intimately, I understand it kind of intellectually. Well, the breakdown of that is pretty awful. You know, yeah. when, as you grow older, when, when, right. whenever it happens, where you realize oh, this guy's kind of I know, you know I know, horrible. It's all like mini death of a salesman happening <laughs> every, all over every the day, country. every day, at all times. <laughs> a like, mini death of a salesman <laughs> happens every six seconds in America. <laughs> Somebody's like, "Dad's a schmuck." <laughs> My dad's an asshole. <laughs> so, but you, but your movie seems very personal. This new movie, it is, yeah. And it seems like that that dynamic between mm-hmm. your mother mm. 
Mm-hmm. Laurie Metcalf, who's a genius. Yeah. Uh, and how do you pronounce the actress's name who played, uh, well, I assume, you? Well, no, actually, you know, it's so funny. The character she played, her name is Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse. But actually, the Irish way to pronounce it is Saoirse. Saoirse Ronan. And I heard her explain that to Charlie Rose the other day because we were on Charlie Rose. Yeah. And then the whole interview, then I also called her Searsha. And then she said, why did you just change the way you say my name? And I was like, well, I just felt like if Charlie was going to say it that way, I had to match <laughs> it. And, um, well, maybe she wasn't you, but I'm, I just, uh, she did a very good job. Yeah, no, no, she was, it, it was funny. We actually have talked a lot about this, obviously making the movie, but now also doing on, press. On the junket. It's in a way, it was sort of the opposite of me. Like, I, I was not a... I, I mean, in the movie, for someone who doesn't know, she makes... Everybody call her by the name Lady Bird, and right. that's not her name. Right. I never made anyone do that. I never... But what about the dynamic between the mother and... Because that was yeah. very specific. That's sort of where yeah. we were coming off the father-son yes, yes, thing. Yes, yes, yes. That, I mean, I definitely had um, a very complicated but very rich loving relationship with my mom that was just in teenage years we just fought and the thing is i kind of remember the broad strokes of the fight but i don't actually remember the details of a lot of the fights i don't remember what what exactly all the issues were but i remember fighting but it's a very painful relationship that one in the movie because yeah. it's it's persistent and and it's uh, a repetitive repetitive emotional dismissal yeah and yeah. and belittling yeah uh, and and manipulation and it, yeah. and and it's it, the challenge is to find that character to have empathy for that character right well but you do somehow. yeah yeah well i guess i've always sort of seen that the character of the mother and the, the way the relationship is playing out is like we're meeting them at this moment and it hasn't always been this way and that even though it's it's bad right now yeah right still, it's not forever still within that context yeah. Her mom's still always helping her out. Sure. And making sure that everything is as good as it can be, even while she's completely frustrated and not sure that her daughter is ready for the world. And I think that that's the thing that makes it uh, so understandable is like that still doing anything for her. Right. But there's an emotional price to pay for a character like that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it be, yeah. Uh, in the sense, and the fact that, that Saoirse, that her awareness of it, yeah. you know, in the film, that, that she knew that her mom had this problem. She didn't know what exactly it was, but yeah. she knew that as herself became more defined, yes. that she was up against this. So it didn't feel, you know, all out, it didn't feel like emotional abuse for the right. whole. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Be- right, because she was struggling with her mom's persistence of mm-hmm. of belittling her. Really, right. I think too. It's like the thing, or um, the I, way I think of it about it too is like the dynamic of um, to, to me. In some ways, what, the, the way I write is so. I allow myself to kind of do things unconsciously, yeah. and then I and then I try to craft them after. I've done it unconsciously. And the part that I... What do you mean? You write, you stream of conscious or you just sort of like blow it out or... Not like, stream of consciousness, but I don't... I, I, I have the distinct experience of of uh, tapping into something where I can just... 
Right and right and right. And it doesn't feel like I am doing the choosing right. of the words, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure everyone who writes at some point feels like that. Um, and then I come back to it later and it's almost a sense of, I don't know who wrote this. And now I have to make it into something that has well, that's good. form. That's, ex- that's good that you can do that. It's good. It's it's good, but it's 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 odd and it doesn't... Um, it's an it, it doesn't make you it, there's an odd disconnect with it uh-huh. so you it, because in a way it's like you've found something that someone's left well that's better than being sort of self-conscious about something you've done like as it's happening it's nice that you can kind of blurt it out yes. wherever it comes from and then work with it as opposed to sort of like like over every sentence like oh yeah, god yeah no i can't i i I, there are moments where I just once I start structuring those things and making them have more form, I have to then move it from A to B, and I do have some just teeth pulling moments of getting story down. But for the most part, it comes out like that. And so, in some ways, I have this strange experience with a script of knowing that it works on the page, but also I have a certain amount of uh, mystery to what I'm I'm saying and how these characters function and right. and and when I have great actors, they give me more understanding of what it is I've I've written and then and that informs how I'm going to direct it and I, there's a, just a scene where Sersh is there, it's a bad moment and she's um, she's trying to get her mom to talk to her and her mom won't talk to her. And then all of a sudden, the character starts yelling at herself. She starts saying everything her mom has said, but her mom isn't even saying it. She's saying it. And I knew kind of that that's what I had written. But the first time I saw Lori and Saoirse rehearse that scene, I was like, oh, that's the thing is your parents don't even need to do it to you. You will do it to yourself. That's the worst. The rest of your life. Right. You will have those tapes playing forever and 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 you and and even if left to your own devices if you want to create just out of necessity a parent in your mind that's different than the one you have it's not going to give you a break either no (laughs) all the parents you're doomed it's true but i but ultimately i feel that why Lori and why you know that this relationship is something that you sympathize with and understand even though you're frustrated with it is that i think I see Lori as creating a character who, despite making mistakes and not not doing everything perfectly, that she actually does give her enough good things, enough courage to go do what she needs to do. Right. So she didn't squ- squash her. Right. And there's, but there's also that weird, you know, the element, because it's really just a coming of age story, right? Is that what you would call the, it's well, about a, a, yeah. a, a teenager. Well, I've always sort of, the way I looked at it, or like con- conceptually I looked at it was like, I wanted it to be uh, one person's coming of age is another person's letting go. And I wanted it to be with just as much attention on the letting go side of it as yeah. the cl- coming of age side of it, which often I think movies about teenagers the, the adults are just sort of played as j- jokes or oh, right right just kind of like uh stereotypes yeah and especially with like not just parents but then also teachers or or sure. or, or other figures sure. in their life yeah yeah and i i wanted every person to feel like 
they they're in their own story. Yeah, I thought that was a uh, pretty amazing. You know, because I, I like seeing Tracy Letts do oh, anything. Me too. And Laurie Metcalf. So Both like it was it was pretty dynamic uh, for me. And I love the movie. Um, and I you know and I don't love all movies, but like I didn't <laughs> I didn't know like in a lot of times I talk to people whose movies I, I thought were okay. Yeah, you know, sure, I try sure. to find something nice to say. But like you know, right when people start singing, I you know I start crying. I don't know why it just happens. Singing. 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 Me too. Really? That's why I love musicals. I know. I don't even know what it is. I don't see a lot of them, but every time I watch, even when the kids were just singing, you know, when they were auditioning, I'm like, uh, oh, good, good. Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> that's how I feel. I, I, I feel what do you that, think that is? Why? Because it's, it's so vulnerable, right? It's so vulnerable. It's so sincere. There's something about singing, right. particularly people singing who are not great singers. Great singers. The kids were great. You can't, I mean, there's nothing more. I uh, just raw than that. And yeah. I and I, I I still love going to see high school musicals when I'm um home in Sacramento I'll go see the local high schools put on musicals. Do you sing? I, I don't sing well, but I do. You let yourself? Yeah, yeah, I do. I let myself sing. That's right. You sang in the in the in the you kind of were jumping around and rocking out in that movie with the Annette Benning. Yeah, I did, but I really sang in I sang in Greenberg. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw that. I, I sang and I sang a Judy Sill song in Greenberg. Okay, um, at the at, was that at a party or something? Like where did it happen? My character sort of wants to be a singer, and she invited Greenberg to go see her sing, sing at the Silver Lake Lounge. Right. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Then now sing, I'm remembering. She sings that Judy Sill song. So you do sing? I do sing. I mean, I can carry a tune. I was in choir in high school. Okay. But I was always second soprano, so it's always that's like you don't really you don't get the you don't get the melody, you get the harmony, so you're kind of singing the other thing and it's <laughs> it's just, just kind of like you don't ever get to like soar. <laughs> yeah, right. I was terrified of it. You know, and I I like to sing, but I'm, I was terrified of it for oh, so long. Yeah. It, it is, it's scary. I, I don't know why, you know, it's just a matter of like, you don't think you're going to do it well, but people, if you do it, you know, honestly, people will respond if you're not horrible. And then even then people are <laughs> relatively sympathetic depending on the venue. And if you're not singing the national anthem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I think it's very, it's very appealing. And I've also always liked, um, you know, the, my favorite musical theater singers have, in a way, peculiar voices. Like who? Well, like um, you know, Elaine Stritch oh, yeah. is. Uh, yeah, it's not a straight ahead, beautiful voice. Right, There's right. something else there. Even Bernadette Peters is, is. Well, those two like are on the on the kind of uh, cabaret ish. I don't know a lot about musicals, but there's a. Yeah, you know, there's a, a character to it. There's a character to it. They, yeah. and they some, or, I mean, Elaine will like talk sing. Yeah, yeah. We actually, Sersha and I talked about. Um, she had a uh, her when she sings. Everybody says don't in the movie for her audition. There's an Elaine Stritch version of singing. Everybody says don't, and she talks through the whole thing, and she kind of runs everything together. And Serge was sort of doing a version of that. Uh huh. Yeah. She, it was great because the funny thing about that audition, and just in in terms of who she is and what you're building that character into, is that she owned it so well. You thought for sure she'd get it, and she doesn't because <laughs> no. the guy was like, "All right." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got a showboat here. She needs to be, you know, uh, harnessed. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> mean, humbled. She, she also is just—it's just too much. Yeah. Every, everything's too much. That character is kind of living 
on the edge of a cliff always. Uh-huh. And um, that's what I love about her. But it's it's uh, it's amazing to watch her fling herself at stuff. And also you maintained a sort of innocence that, you, you know, you've we've grown to think is no longer there. Mm. That, you know, you, the assumption is like, you know, these kids today, they've got access to everything. But this is 2002, right? This is 2002. So it's a little different. A little different. That's, that's true. I just realized that as I was saying it. I mean, I well, I one thing that I did on set because, and I took this from Noah, it's something he does, and it's a great policy on set is no one had any cell phones um, because... I don't like cell phones on set because if you need to make a phone call or text someone, you can leave set and go do it there. But there's nothing that bums you out more than looking over and seeing everybody, someone, everybody texting in between. And and someone said to me, "Oh, good luck with that." With the younger kids in your cast, they're attached to their phones, and actually, I think for them it was such a relief not to have to deal <laughs> with their phones, yeah. and that they loved it. They all left their phones in their trailer, and then they were totally present. Because they had to. They had to. <laughs> and, but then they really enjoyed it, and I sort of re... I made them innocent again. Yeah, oh, but that's I, great. I, I, I think, I mean, I obviously there's like the internet giving you access to all kinds of things, but one thing is, yeah, the, everybody knows things all the, all the time now, and I'm I don't know. But there is a context to childhood that you can't, like, you're not going to fill it up more than it can be filled up. Like, yeah, like, that's true. That's true. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, their yeah. range of interest and, you know, what they're going to take in and what they can take in yes. is relative to the brain at that age, not to how much is out there. Yes. So that's, that's right. What, that's right. There's only just a certain amount. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so they I've never ma- thought of it that way. And so they maintain it, you, yeah. you know, naturally. Naturally. Because they're sort of like, I don't know what that is. I'm not... <laughs> Yeah. I'm not going to deal with that. I know. Although, I mean, I even remember, though, like, when I came to college, I went to college in New York, and I remember having this sense of, like, where did everybody hear about the cool cool stuff? Right. Like, I don't know. Like, I actually literally don't know where you would have heard of that. Yeah. And, like, the the guys who somehow at 18 already knew all the cool stuff. Well, they were Music they were not in Sacramento. And stuff. Yeah, and maybe they had more of a I don't know how to. There was definitely a, an exposure issue. Yes, there was an exposure issue, which is less now because of the but internet. That's right. Yeah, and that, and and that thing of like getting information through magazines is something right. I was I kept trying to explain to the cast of like. Oh, right. that, there was that's a where, time yeah. when you would have wanted that was where the cool stuff was. You'd go you got get, it. Yeah, every month in the go. magazine, <laughs> right. and they'd I I always remember I had <laughs> seventeen magazine. Yeah, was try, I mean you, they would. Obviously, the people who made Seventeen magazine were were people who lived in New York or uh-huh. L.A. and stuff, and they knew. And but but it was this disconnect between what clearly the editors knew about and then what we were hearing on the radio. Yeah. So there would be like this, you know, Bjork being really cool, right? But we never heard Bjork on the radio. Yeah, where so, would you hear Bjork? <laughs> like That's it right. was it was right. this sort of strange. You'd have to go seek it out. But somewhere. like I knew about Bjork from. Seventeen would do a sidebar on sure. her, right? Um, like, how do I actually, how do I get that? But like studying magazines. I mean, so, but I like that idea of sort of like this 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 moment where all of this stuff is rising, but it's not there yet. It yeah. felt like I mean, it's actually like it's a it's a little bit after when I was actually in high school, but it felt like a way to talk about now without actually having to shoot smartphones, which I didn't want to shoot 
at all. Right. And, and also, right, you had a flip phone or two in there. I have, a, like, a couple kids had flip phones, but, and I just like that feeling of, I don't know, not knowing where someone is. Yeah, I don't know how we did it. It's a very weird thing how quickly and how effectively these technological conveniences have consumed our our, our extensions. There are extensions of ourselves, and that now the idea that you would come home at the end of the day and listen to your machine. I know. I what? know. I well, know. Like, I, like I, let me just check my messages. <laughs> let me check my messages. Remember when you could check it on your phone with the tone? It's yes. sort of like, wow, this is yes. the greatest. Yes. I'm checking my messages checking on my, my phone from yes. my f- another phone. <laughs> I know. And you could see if anyone had called. It yeah, was yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, no, I mean... It was it was an it was something that we talked about a lot, even in terms of like production design of like before everybody had a Pinterest page, and you know the, 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 there was you know you would have f- the furniture that would be around you would yeah. be stuff that you would have gotten when you got married or from your grandmother, and then you know you could like Sears and Pennies, and maybe there's a Costco where you could buy a computer chair, but like. The stuff that was around you it was like pre IKEA, pre sure. like kind of design in the way that we experience well, and, and design now. Right, it, it's it design's very accessible and and completely turned out now. It's like everywhere, yes, everywhere. But even you know, like that, everyone celebrating Target. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, in Sacramento also is this sort of this weird, um, kind of you know a middle America city mm. in California. I've been there several times. I, I dated a woman briefly for a few years from Sacramento. Did you ever do stand-up in yeah, Sacramento? Yeah, sure. At the Punchline. At yeah, the Punchline. At the Arden Mall. The, yeah. Across from the Arden, what is it? Is it yeah, Arden, Arden Fair Mall. Ard, is it Arden Fair? Is Arden what, Fair. Sure. And I stayed at the horrible condos across from the Arden Fair Mall. Yes. And I sure. wandered around that mall. I mm-hmm. used to go up there fairly frequently to the punchline. The, it's right next yeah. to the mattress store on the second floor yes. of that strip mall there. There's a number of comedians who come through Sacramento. I remember we my, all did. My, my my dad my dad was always interested in comedy. He always had like comedy albums and stuff and he go see people who came through and Well it's a very yeah. healthy that was a good club and there was a very healthy comedy scene out of San Francisco. Right. That ran a lot of people through there and all the major headliners would play Punchline Sacramento. It's a big yeah. room. You yeah. can make some money. Yeah. If you could sell some tickets. Mm-hmm. There used to be that fifties diner. Yes. Like right. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> right there in that strip the, mall. Yeah, the the yeah. And that. then it went away, and I was sort of upset because it was open late. This is all. This is all, and it's all right by the fairgrounds. Yeah, the, the fairgrounds. state state fairgrounds. Which, yeah. um, there there's something about growing up in a place where like the state fair is like a really big deal. Sure. That it it it, it it's even though Sacramento is the capital and it's a it's a city, but it does have sort of a small town feeling, and it, that definitely connected to the agricultural roots of California, and it's in the Central Valley, of the agricultural valley, and just I remember so much. My childhood was like being excited for State Fair and then just loving State Fair and sure. then being bummed that when it was done. But there's like, you know. Because they had the Midway and they had. Right. Serious livestock competitions. Uh, Kids would come in and they were like, I've, ra- like, I've, my raised, pig. I've raised this pig. <laughs> I love my pig. And it was always exciting. And then there was also this thing of like, if an animal was about to give birth, like a cow or a yeah. pig, it would be, they'd put them in this area where you could just 
keep watch on them and then then one you'd wait for hours and hours and they're like it's coming really (laughs) gather around you'd watch a cow give birth and then this little cow would come out and just just be so gooey but so cute and and instantly start walking and it was amazing it'd be like a 14 year old with a cowboy hat on yes in his boots with his dad dealing with shit yeah and there's also this thing this amazing thing they had um the county exhibits yeah. It was like a big, in one of those big expo rooms, and every county would make their own, like, life-size diorama, sure. which was always just, I just loved it. And it was kind of, it, it was kind of, I, I don't know who judged the county exhibits, sure. but I always, um, like, I always felt like L.A. did not put as much effort into it as they could have, given it was like... <laughs> that was supposed to be the creative. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they sort of just like had a California raisin and were like, we're done. <laughs> sure, and every other county was like, we're going to beat L.A. Yeah, and it was like Yolo County. It was incredible. And like Mendocino County. What were they, exhibits? Yeah. Representing they, the county? What, yeah, what the yeah, county like, represents? Like, the thi- like, what is it about the county? Like, trout or... <laughs> I don't know what my, that's sure, not, that's all sure. I can think of as trout right. or you know the redwoods or you know the, whatever the county in California uh-huh. was and you know California is such a big state huge I grew up in Albuquerque and they had the New Mexico State Fair and yeah. it was kind of a big deal yeah uh, there was a there was a bit of the rodeo business but not sure. a lot of agriculture but there was also like uh, indigenous people uh-huh. like, like you'd go and there was that that whole area yeah. where you go get Indian fried bread and yes. had Indian jewelry yes yes and then there was the midway and they had like the babies in a jar and the freak show and mm-hmm. a couple of rides mm-hmm. and then there was the horses mm-hmm. and the exhibition halls yeah. and then rodeos and concerts with Roy Clark and Buck Owens and Willie Nelson and that George like Jones fun. I didn't do all that but you I didn't I, do I, all of but that. we'd go to the fair you, you know, go to the fair get the Indian fry bread we get the two week pass like the like so you could go to the fair every yeah. day <laughs> really yeah they had like this area called the farm where there'd be agricultural like there's always like a thing in Sacramento, particularly in Davis, like trying to get, trying to create an avocado tree that will stay alive during the winter. Yeah. Because California, Northern California, the avocado trees will grow, but they will not produce avocado fruit because the winters, it drops too, down to be too cold. So there's always like big avocado problems, s- shortage. S- s- exhibits about trying to keep yeah. them warm and uh-huh. avocado trees wrapped in blankets. Isn't it weird what makes an impression on you that you remembered that? That there was that this avocado problem, but <laughs> the way it was illustrated problem. is something you've held on to your entire yeah. life. Yeah. Because well, there was something about. The device of warming the avocados that was ingenious to you. Oh, no. I mean, the whole thing. It's so funny because it's just like that where the comedy club was, where Arden Fair is, where the fairgrounds are. All of that. I mean, the fair. It's just one of those things in my life where the state fair was such a magical kingdom to me when I was growing up. Uh And... Then as an adult, and when definitely when the state fair is not going on, fairgrounds don't look like anything. No, they're like it's, it, it's impossible to explain why this was so meaningful. No, they're like dormant and they're waiting. <laughs> and they're waiting. They're just sort of like, look, it's, yeah. it's all going to be happening in a year. I know. But now nothing's going on there. I know. And there's always like one or two cars and you're like, what are those people doing there? I know. I had... I wanted to. I'm. I mean, maybe I'll make a movie that has the state fair in it because I had wanted to put a, sta- a state fair in the movie, but it 
it didn't it just didn't make it in it had no place it would just be completely unnecessary but you did it was sort of a, a bit of a, a a weird love letter to sacramento yes. yes definitely i mean i mean it is it is it's a love letter th- through the eyes of somebody who thinks she wants to get out but that then looking back is like oh no that yeah, was that's, my um, life i get a little choked up just thinking about that that you know her her what she said to her mother the driving the driving the i know it's it's a it's a killer yeah it's a killer i think that's you know one of the i think the one of the things about particularly being a teenager is you just have this certainty that life is going on somewhere else and you're just positive about it <laughs> and then you get to the place that for whatever reason you think life is and then you think oh no this is not it. Right. It's not. Wait, maybe it never happens. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe it's. Did you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like, um, like I'm trying to think. So, so you, did you have siblings? Yeah. I have an older brother, older sister. Oh, really? Yeah. And you, you're all, you grew up in Sacramento your whole life? Whole life. Yeah. My parents still live there. My brother lives there with his family. My sister lives in Berkeley with her family. And what did, what do they do? Uh, my mother's retired. Um, she was a nurse? She was a nurse. She was a, actually an OBGYN nurse. Uh-huh. And um, my dad works for a credit union. Uh-huh. Uh, he does small... I I, was, I don't know how to explain his position. He does small business loans. Uh-huh. Like he sort of vets them and finances. So you kind of base these characters in the movie pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. Yeah. And your bro- what do um, your brothers do? Your my, siblings? My, well, my sister works for the EEOC of California, the Equal Employment Opportunity uh-huh. Commission. And my brother is a landscape architect, but he does like sort of kind of like more large scale things. Like if you're going to build a freeway, how do you preserve the plant life? Right. That kind of thing. Problem solving. Not not quite person. Not personal landscape right, right, architecture. Right. Not like I really want a pond. No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think he can do that, but I right. think maybe he moved away from it. But yeah. Why wouldn't you? He do- he drives a truck. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Trucks are good. Trucks yeah. are yeah, Sacramento. Yeah. You get the truck. You got to have a truck if you're a landscape designer. Yeah. Right? Like a landscape architect. He's driving so you, out to sites. So that's sort of a creative thing, but you went you know, full on, like, I got to get out of here. I'm yes. going to be an actress. What? Well, yeah. Well, they all were creative. Like, my sister was, um, she was a really gifted artist and also a gifted writer. Uh-huh. She still writes. Yeah. But it, it, none of the, I, I, I decided to do it for my job. Which I think was scary for everybody. Everybody involved. Yeah. Everybody involved. Yeah, they're just yeah, they're concerned. Like it's weird to it's hard to uh, be a parent, I think, uh, and not worry about somebody who wants to pursue the arts. It's it feels like you're just letting your kids sign up for a disappointment forever. Well, <laughs> and that could be the way it goes. Yeah, it's true. My I'm qualified to do some things because my mom was worried that I would not have a but when i was a teenager i i I became a certified step aerobics instructor and also a certified paralegal you (laughs) did yeah so that i could because your mom was like you gotta have something to fall back gotta have a trade (laughs) (laughs) step aerobics was kind of a big deal (laughs) at that moment (laughs) so i'm 
One of the, I think, youngest step aerobics really? instructors. Did you get a plaque? Do you have a plaque? From- um, I got a certificate, you know. How old were you? Um, 16. So you're 16 and you're just sort of standing in front of a room full of, I imagine, women yeah, doing yeah, the step aerobics. Doing some step aerobics. It's, a, it's Being just a chipper lot of cho- and- choreography. Sure. You know? um, it's a performance. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, <laughs> and what does a paralegal do exactly? Well, I never actually did it, oh. but I did um, a I but I took the class at um, Sacramento City College to get certified, yeah. I th- and and um, but I never was hired as a paralegal. But it, it was a lot. I think it's a lot of stuff where you sort of have to know you are not authorized to make contracts, but right. you know about the law right. enough right. that right. you can look for cases to support things. I'm making this up at yeah. this point. They know a lot about the law and they can organize things for the lawyers. That's right. That's right. I think I think I remember someone telling her that if I didn't technically need a paral- a, a certificate, yeah. but I had a certificate. Well, good. So, and you still have that. That's and good. I don't know. Do you yeah. refresh it every year just in case? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I should. I should just in case this <laughs> <Yeah>. all <laughs> it's just this dream doesn't ends. Work out. But yeah, I mean, being in our. I mean, you're. <laughs> Your family must have also been like a little. I guess you know. I I don't know. I I, I think they were all pretty self-involved. There wasn't a lot of, <laughs> you know. They're, they're just sort of like. I th- he seems like he's doing all right. <laughs> he seems okay. Yeah, he he seems to be confident. Let him go ahead and do this. Yes. Whatever yes. the hell he's doing. But yeah, it took a long time for it to work out. I think they were worried. But what is that? What good is that going to do anybody? They can't forbid you. They can. Are they going to forbid you out of their own fear? You right. Know? Right. Uh, which I think the mother character does a bit of in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I think. I guess you could forbid. You could sort of say, "I'm not." If you're gonna like now, we won't. You know. Support, uh, you. support you like you know yeah. you're on your own you're on your own you know, thank god you have your paralegal license yes. and you can yes. be that's a step right. instructor that's right and when you go to new york <laughs> yeah when you go to new york <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, all that talk at uc davis like i've performed at uc davis too mm. uc davis I, I i mean my brother went there it's a good school i think and it's as good, far as the state a, schools it's go. a very good school yeah it's just that it was close right that's that that's was the bother. The, that like, was the essence of, of get, her complaint is that it's close you're not far away it's too close someone could drop in on you it's so funny that you handled like you know there were there were those tropes of these kind of movies yeah but you did them like you said you went a little more in depth because i do think that they're real events in teenage life they are and and you know it is easy to sort of you know make them hacky and and you did not do that I tried not to. No, it was great. It was very touching. The 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 old best friend, the real best friend, and the shitty new best friend. Yeah. And the lying, the shame the of shame. this girl and her mother, and and it was all class shame. Yeah, there's and, a lot of class shame. Yeah, and so you leave Sacramento after yeah. doing uh, your paralegal classes, and you yes. got into Columbia. Yeah, or at Barnard College. You got into Barnard, yeah. and I was at Barnard. Uh, did it work the way it did in the movie, where you got some, some a loan or scholarship, or how'd it go? Yeah, there was like a combination of things that enabled me to go to Barnard, which I eventually. I remember there was a moment in my mid twenties when I was able to pay off uh, a lot of it all at once, and it felt amazing. Did you get it all paid off now? It's all paid off, and yeah. it was the best feeling of my my life. Ah, so good, it was, right? yeah, I I really I I 
I, I'm so grateful that um, certain breaks happened for me and that I was able to do that because it really is a c- crushing feeling. It hangs over you. It does. Did you have that experience? No, I did not. I my my parents had a little bread. Yeah. But uh, but the house. This was my first house, mm. and in, in, in you know, in, in when I got it. There was no way I was gonna pay it yeah, off. Yeah, I know. And then, like at some point, I'm like, I'm gonna pay it off. I know. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, that's you know, somebody, a friend of mine, just bought uh, an apartment. Said, "Oh, I've just bought a lot of debt." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that's true. It yeah. is that." Yeah, you don't feel like you really own it, and then no. when you really do own it, you're like, "All right, so it's mine now. Now what? Now what? Yeah, I know." But but so, what do you study at Barnard? I did. Uh, I eventually majored. I majored in English literature and and, and philosophy. What, what was the focus in English lit? Did they make you focus on a period? Uh, yeah, I was really into sort of Renaissance and medieval stu- studies stuff. I I really liked. Oh yeah. Um, like the Canterbury Tales. I yeah, but I I was really into it's my one reference. Oh yeah, and Milton and Milton, yeah, other that's good. Milton's good. Renaissance dramatists. Um, oh and yeah, and then I had a great. I, I just had I had a lot of great professors um, who kind of blew my mind. That's and what I, they're supposed to do. And I didn't I didn't have a chip on my. I, I think sometimes some of the people I knew who came to to college had gone to. The sort of high school that gave them what college it gave me, yeah, and so they were bored by college. But I had not heard of any of this, and I was thrilled. Right, like where am I? I was like Nietzsche. Shut up! This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading it for the first time. Yeah, and I was like, this, this is great. Yeah, or you know, yeah, Foucault, who was this guy? Right, like any of those guys who just sort of like burst the world open i kind of could you wrap your brain around it yes i actually i i i I still remember having a very that feeling of satisfaction when something that felt impenetrable clicks into place and i i also i don't remember i remember struggling with texts and then going into class and and feeling like I had had a hunch of what it was about and then it was confirmed for me but that that it's a very I think if you've ever had that satisfaction of struggling with something and then having it suddenly make sense to you just it's, open up it's a thing you look for continually in yeah your I've life. had it with poetry I've had it with some you yes. know some things I don't know if I've had it a lot but it sounds it sounds similar to your writing process it is that's true and I think it also I, I remember talking to a professor that I, I who was very wonderful who taught a Lacan as a uh-huh. philosophy philosopher. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to her office hours once and I was just struck. He has all these sort of equations, which yeah. were, I didn't totally understand. And I remember asking her, she was French. I said, why Lacan? Why is Lacan your person? And she said, because it is difficult. <laughs> and I thought, that's a really good <laughs> answer. Because if you're going to spend all your life working on yeah. something it's nice that it be difficult. Right, and it keep revealing itself. Yeah. You never quite get to the bottom of it. And that's how I feel. I mean, filmmaking feels that way. I think that's right. It's difficult. Yeah, I like this. You never, you won't run out of ways to improve and, and, and you will never get on top of it. Right, but also, you know, it's still your form of expression. So like, instead of thinking about 
improving or getting on top of like you can like surprise yourself yes, with the yes, writing and you're right. like oh my god like i guess that's why i do comedy it's a little more immediate but certainly there's discovery constant discovery yeah you know that happens on stage in the moment in conversation yeah where it's sort of like i wonder if i can get that to work again that's right that's right and i think too i think or i mean i've i've never done comedy like the way you do like stand up or anything yeah. like that but i've always really loved listening to comedians talk and i and i like comedians a lot because it's that high altitude learning yeah you never learn anything faster in your life (laughs) yes because it's you're you're uh, the stakes are so high and i feel like there's something about that that i the stakes are high high ish you're but they're high because it's your your ego (laughs) sure right right it's not like if we don't pull this off a lot of people are gonna die no 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 it's high altitude inside yourself oh no absolutely because failure is imminent yeah and and then it's like yourself can crumble in front of you but also publicly sure right away like right away instantly but no but then but the but part of the job is getting numb to that Yes, yeah, and that's moving right. through that and just taking the hit. Like, like I thought about that even last night. I did, a, I did a set at the comedy store, <laughs> and it was the audience was demanding, and yeah. you know, and they were there. They meant business, you know. And sometimes on a Wednesday night, I don't necessarily mean business <laughs> for fifteen minutes, you know. I kind of want to fucking just be yeah, loose, right? Right. But there was a moment there where there were these loud, drunk people talking right there, and I'm like, right. you know, I knew this was. Gonna, I said to him, I said, I knew you're going to be a problem. I had an instinct about it because I've been doing this a long time, yeah. and they gave me stink eye, and yeah. I felt it there, and I just focused in on an audience. I was sort of like, all right, so you shut them up. Now what? Now and you I just, have. I felt that menace, and then I realized, like, I'm a professional, and if they don't fucking laugh, I don't really, whatever. Wow. Go, no, it'll come around. Yeah, I right. know this shit's funny, so like, yeah. if, if I'm going to take a hit for you know schooling those drunks. Right. Fine. Right. That's, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> professional. It's a professionalism that, you know, you have it too and what you do. Well, that's, I remember reading, I mean, I, I, that, 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 that born standing up when he talks about kind of failing and failing. Is oh, that Steve Martin? Yeah. I didn't read it. Yeah. Oh, well, he has this, he no, sort of has great. a thing about talking about how you sort of get this armor. Yeah. And they know they can't touch you yeah. anymore. Right. Because... It's you, a great feeling. You have seen the worst. That's a great feeling. I mean, yeah. I, I think in a way, actually, for me, it's it's not that, I mean, I, I still have the ability to, you know, I'm still can be, se- you know, sensitive about stuff I've made, but yeah. I, I think because I've I've acted and written and made stuff for a long time, I've, I've learned to not be quite so invested in the moment of whatever is going on. Yeah. Because it... Because either way, it'll go away. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, film stays. Film, around. the film will stay around, but the feeling of like I have gotten bad reviews, like you get used to it. Yeah, I mean, you fuck it, man. You know, you know what I mean. It's sort of like, and then you just sort of learn from it and you move on. And and a lot of times in what you do, if you're not at the helm, you know, it's not on you. <laughs> necessarily that's true but this one is <laughs> no this one is right this sure but is. you know what I mean yes yes that, yes like you know yes, like yes. there there are projects I would imagine as an actor where you're like yeah the movie's okay but I, I think I did pretty good you know but, right right but you like you sort of came up through this you know a world of uh you know, I I mean, Swanberg's world, Duplass' yeah. world that's you right. know, I don't know like it seemed like there was a, a great deal of uh of effort put on certain outlets to make it a separate world of film, but it, it is just a, a variety of independent film. 
right? Right. It's stylized and improvised a lot of it, but it, it, it is still, yeah, yeah, it is like, I don't, I don't know who the mumble core people are, or what that means really. Neither do I. But you know, there are certain people that are like, Swanberg's great at it. He has a way of doing it, and it's he pretty. Developed. It's pretty wild. Yeah, to 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 the the way that he directs, you know, in the moment to you know, because you know, you're given because I've done two episodes of Easy, mm-hmm. so I you know I've you know and you're literally writing with him. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's what, right. Yeah. That's right. And, but the way he has to conceive of how these shots fit together in his head mm-hmm. to make the thing function. You know, continuity-wise, right. is sort of fascinating. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, how many it, movies did you do with him? We did two movies together. Yeah. Um, uh, we did Hannah takes the stairs and t- takes the stairs and nights and weekends. Right. And um, and he, he that 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 very kind of real commitment to improvisation as the 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 the, the organizing principle of it. That was the he was the most extreme version of that. Like the Duplass brothers, they did a lot of improvisation, but it was more. It was still more structured yeah. than what Swanberg was doing. Well, I, well, the thing about Swanberg is sort of like you know, you know, he's discovering the fucking story. Yes, as what? it's happening. Yeah, yeah, as it's, it's uh, happening, and that's ballsy. Yes, you know, and it's and, yes. and then you realize like well, a lot of this is on me. Yeah, you it's on you. In a way, I always said it was a way I could write while I was acting. Yeah. Um, and that was part of the task. Did you do any training in acting after your philosophy in English? Oh you know? well, I mean, this is this. Is, so the full story is it's really hard. I I've done a lot of different things. So so I didn't I didn't major in theater, but I did a lot of acting sure. and I did a lot of playwriting and particularly playwriting in college. But we were very lucky at Barnard um, and Columbia, both of us together. The, we had a lot of Juilliard professors who were teaching um, in our drama department. So all of the main acting instructors from Juilliard were al- also teaching classes to us. So I had the benefit of these the resources, really great acting yeah. teachers. And they were the first ones who said to me, you should take a playwriting class. You seem to be really interested in writing because I was sort of writing my own monologues uh-huh. and stuff. And um, and then so I started taking writing classes from these Juilliard writing teachers and so i was i was very i was doing like you know whatever an entire semester on Chekhov or an entire semester on shakespeare with acting and then i was also taking playwriting classes and I, and then i was also doing uh a lot of there's a show at columbia called the varsity show uh-huh. which is the show to be part of it's um all the cool comedy kids do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a an original musical sure. written and performed every year. I remember I showed it to a boyfriend who had not been at school with me after. Yeah. And he said, whoa, you guys put a lot of effort into this. <laughs> and I said, we certainly yeah. did. <laughs> um, but it was, that was, you know, a big part of my experience too. But I, so I had, I was, I wanted to be a playwright. And then I I got rejected from um, Yale, Yale, NYU, and and Julia <laughs> playwriting for graduate um, for graduate school, and then I um, and then but I had already sort of started working um, on these movies, and and I'd fa- I had also as a sidebar fallen in love with cinema, which I hadn't really been exposed to as an art form until I was in college. So 
I was I, I we weren't I wasn't making a living making those movies with Joe or or the Duplass brothers and I had no idea how this was all going to like really shake out over time uh-huh. but it became almost like a, a film school for me and and in a way I found on all levels as an actor as a as writer a, and as a director and also just as as a as a how like what you were saying before like how are they constructed do you uh, do you need an extra shot between this and this? Yeah. Because it was also everyone was editing at night. Yeah. So Joe would edit at night, but also when I shot with the Duplass brothers, their editor Jay Doobie would work at night, and then we would come back the next day and realize we needed some connective tissue between this thing or that thing, and it was a very it. So that was a big part of learning how stuff was put together, and then, but I had never really lost my taste for something that was quite written. And something that felt like a piece of writing that existed that you were trying to work on that was outside of improvisation. And then when I read, I I was writing already, but then when I, I remember when I read the script for Greenberg, which I auditioned for, I thought that's it. That's what I. That's this is the kind. You, right. Of, you know, you can write this thing that these guys are kind of noodling with. I wanted to do that, and right. I and I I knew I loved Noah's other. Uh, films yeah, yeah but then when I read that it was a feeling that I I got a couple of times with different writers where I thought I didn't write that but boy do I wish I had sure I felt that way when I read Kenneth Lonergan's plays for the first time well you know when mm-hmm. I read his plays I had that very strongly there are people whose genius eludes me until I see it on stage like I felt that way about this playwright Carol Churchill mm-hmm I didn't understand it until I saw it. And then I was like, oh. I have a hard time with scripts in general, like really con- picturing them properly. It can be hard. It's, yeah, it, it, like some people can just do it. Like for me, I don't, it's it's like I just, I end up not paying attention to direction. Right. So I just go voice to voice and then I start to, like I can't, it's hard for me to conceive of well, what's happening. I think when I read Greenberg for, the, when I read Greenberg, yeah. it was the first time I had read a film script. Uh-huh. That felt like a piece of writing that I could understand just fully as a piece of. And also because it's like generationally, it's it's not it's not far away from you. It's not far away from me, and it's also he takes time with the stage directions. I mean, like even like yeah, like everything's beautiful. It reads like a very so that was the mind blower poem. You're right. I mean, and then obviously we ultimately ended up writing together and and that was such a fun experience and with I what Francis Ha? That was the first one we wrote together. Right. And then we wrote Mistress America together. Yeah, I saw Francis Ha, the black and white one. That's right. Yeah, I like that. You yeah. were good in that. Thank I, you. I I think I like I like that movie. And I like um, I liked Greenberg a lot because mm-hmm. I I knew the guy and yeah you know, there it was familiar to me you know yeah. like it seems like yeah. Noah is you know he's he comes from a, a sophisticated background and you know the way he creates characters is from a very kind of intellectually informed place yes and uh, but you yeah. know but he's very sensitive to emotions and to uh, to uh, uh, broken Jews I think. <laughs> I mean, he's he's just uh, he pays he pays attention, yeah, yeah. and he's very yeah. Uh, he's also just a beautiful. Uh, again, he's just a beautiful writer. In a way, he could have been a novelist. A novelist, yeah, I, I, could, I could see I that. Could sure, I could see him being a novelist sure. as well. 
even though he's, I mean, he's a great filmmaker. So, but but I think what's interesting too is like the, I mean, obviously the not talking about you directing yet, but the fact that you've become a better actress, I think, definitely over the arc of things because it, even in Jackie, I mean, that was a very controlled role, right? Yes, it was very controlled. I mean, part of it is what are you being asked to do? And sometimes you're not asked to do something that's terribly different from what you've done. Right. Um, but I have definitely become a better actress. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've always felt, for me, everything's gone together. Like, I started... You weren't sp- bad, but you were like... No. You, you, the varieties of yourself were apparent, whereas, like, no. with Jackie and with, I think, with 20th Century Woman, yeah, yeah. that there there was a, a, a kind of control. I, definitely. And also, I think... I mean, that's always how, for me, I felt like I I, I became a, a, a writer because I was acting great writing. Yeah. And, and that made, and then the acting made me a better writer. And then that all made me kind of have a different eye on directing. And I feel like I've never been a person who just exists in... Uh, one lane Mm -hmm. and they all support each other sure they don't they don't operate independently i remember listening to um i felt a lot of kinship with um mike nichols because he had been a performer and then a director Mm -hmm. you know he has this sort of trajectory and the way he talked about coming at directing and then sort of using his background as a performer as a you know comedy writer and then other performing like it, i i felt i just felt i like i understood that sure I, yeah. yeah no i mean like the way you put together the sort of the learning process of working with swanberg working with the duplass yeah. doing parts in those movies where you know everybody you know is sort of equal pay equal work you know what i mean like yeah. there's an ensemble sure. of 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 kind of like uh, low budgetness and 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 kindred spirits in terms of you know wanting to do something new right. generationally, but then kind of like moving into the bigger time and taking you know that yeah. that that. But what I'm saying is, that I could see how it all built your brain going back to keeping the avocados warm. That you're you know an integrator of information. I'm an integrator. <laughs> I I remember taking a personality test once. Yeah. Uh, it's it's based on this Jungian typology, yeah. like the the that that you have a. I'm an en, I'm an ENFP. Um, that makes me sound. Like, it's not you're not an enneagram. No, no, the, it's the, okay. it's like there's 16 different okay. types yeah. because it, for every category you can be an E, an yeah. I, or an E, which yeah. is an introvert or an extrovert. And anyway, under my thing, I remember it saying like they often see. Everything is part of a cosmic whole, <laughs> which is I I do. I feel I almost feel like that's uh, my brain wa- needs to do that. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, it, it, that I mean, the fact that y- you don't choose to. Well, I don't know if that's true though. But I mean, like that would be the same kind of brain that would believe in God. That is the exact brain that would believe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh well how do you feel about that um i'm a theist yeah i i don't know you're I okay with it i don't have i don't know um, i i don't su- subscribe to i I'm, I'm very interested in in religion and i'm interested in all different kinds of religion uh-huh. but i don't subscribe to one but i have I have some belief. Faith? 
I have some faith. But actually, I was listening to something the other day that was that said it was it was, it was they, they were sort of saying like oh it was on this American Life it was like uh, all, all these things we don't know uh-huh. and they said oh you know how many people believe the 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 Earth orbits the Sun and everybody raises their hand and then they said and what is your evidence for that huh. nobody has I mean can you tell me the evidence right now. We don't, some some people told me at some point in time that scientists right. kind of got some closure on there that. There is evidence. We believe there's evidence. We don't know what the evidence is. Well, I mean, it's there. You can right. It's there, but I bet it's harder to understand than you think. Yeah, but I mean, that's not my job. No, but <laughs> meaning that's but with you know, there's a lot of things we just sort of sure. I I know. Like they, we that, take they, there is sort of a a, a an amazing uh, uh, the 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 amazingness <laughs> of of how it all holds together why how you know why is it okay you know and and certainly you know given the administration we're within now that you start to feel existentially threatened of these these things that we've grown to rely upon uh then then you start to really kind of go like you know (laughs) is this like is the 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 order going to be (laughs) Is it, do are we going to live through it? Are we going to see know. the end thing? But um, but no, I didn't want to be negative. But it is interesting that you take for granted a lot of things. So I think is what you're you do saying. you do. I mean, I I don't know. I don't have any. I I have absolutely no um um answers. I don't even really have convictions. I just kind of have a. a <laughs> you just see, yeah. You just feel that you know it's eventually kind of. I think it, well, there's this in the. And being in nothingness, it starts with the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, you don't tell me you got through that book. No, of course not. Okay. But I definitely read the first sentence. Yeah. <laughs> which is supposed to put us in the frame of mind of why is there something rather than nothing, which is a really good question. Oh, I couldn't. I have that book up there still, I think. There's a great book called... Um, Reality is not what it seems by yeah. this physicist um, Carlo Rovielli. Yeah, and um, I think I have it in my backpack. I don't, it's so good that you do. Like I, you know, this like I, I like what you said about. Well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that it, 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 he's just explained. He sort of um, he chronologically takes you through uh, what what we know, what what physicists know about um, the origin of what's all this stuff yeah. what's going on right. with time and and he takes us through like figuring out different things and figuring out uh w- what is the universe constructed of and how does it fit together and it's sort of through the present moment yeah and it gets crazier and crazier and sort of like einstein's three sphere which just you can't even if you tr- if you try to think of what that is your brain will stop functioning but um there's something about it that instead of making me feel like, oh, and we figured it out, it makes me feel very in awe of everything. Sure. And I think that's sort of that awe feeling is, um, I don't know, it, it, it's almost like it's increased the more that I'm confronted with um, fact that it's not diminished. Well, that's good. You, you don't get the sense sort of like... Glad that's figured out. Now I can eat. <laughs> no, no right. there's something that's, I remember, I forget what it was. I think it was when I was taking enlightenment literature, but it was like, there's some amazing letter from like by the British 
philosophical society yeah. or but or maybe yeah. scientific but there was some letter where they said publicly i think we're all we've almost figured it all out <laughs> which is just my favorite thing yeah yeah finally yeah and they're like we're i think we're just maybe two weeks away <laughs> was something when, very, when was that written it was like 1887 oh, they were on it you know yeah yeah and they were like i think it's almost over yeah 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 <laughs> and i nothing to worry about anymore but i i am very i'm very compelled by that confidence and there's something so sweet about it that i i just think that, maybe oh. that's your next movie on those guys yeah how lovely we are that we <laughs> thought yeah, i yeah. think it's about done yeah yeah it's in the bag <laughs> we got it uh well like i did have this weird question like yeah. a meeting in Noah's Meyerowitz stories, yeah. the one thing that stood out to me was that you know how he left scenes, like oh. and in and, and then mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm just comparing the yeah. conversation that yeah. the way you ended um, mm-hmm. Lady Bird mm-hmm. was was similar and it has something to do with that there there is no closure and there's something about that you're not saying that this story has a, a well I was gonna say I mean I, I mean to speak. I like movies where um, I was very careful about the very end of it. It cuts off on an inhale. Yeah. Because to me, and the way I looked through this footage a lot, the minute she exhales, there's something on her face that she's in a new story. And we're not telling that story. Huh. That is the end of that story. And I've always liked the end of movies where you feel retrospectively Oh my God, that was the end of that story. And it's, and I like it when it cuts off just as it ends and it lets you remember that that was the end. You know, in a way, I feel like so much of filmmaking, you know, if you've written it and you've directed it, um, it has to make sense to you because there's no other reason to make it. I mean, it has to fit your weird need in some way. And, and because that that's the hunch that everybody else is going off of uh that's the thing that everyone else is bringing their talents to and collaborating it with collaborating with and even the th- the, the the structure of the movie and certain things that if people said oh does it need to be this way w- one of the good reasons about like putting together a movie is it forces you to consider everything because it's all takes time and money and do you really need it and yeah. and you get very real with yourself very fast about what you need Sure, you got yeah. You and, budget, for budgetary reasons, you got to get lean. Yeah, and then but then what's great about it is you realize that there that the things that 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 matter that you that you need that you absolutely need you'll probably develop more intellectualized reasons for later, but in the moment you just know you need them and you don't question it, right? Because if you start questioning it, then it all goes out the window. Right. Because I'm not making movies about, you know, it's not a, it's not, I'm not making a crime caper. It's not like I need to know this information <laughs> to know how they broke into right. the safe. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's more subtle than that. But it, it, if I lose track of it, then we're all lost because there's no reason to make this anything. You know? Yeah, then it's just darkness and hopelessness. But, yeah. Thank God why is there something rather than nothing? <laughs> you don't want to live there. No. I think it, maybe I'm getting like this because this um, this marble I'm looking into the has giant, very cosmic... The giant marble. The <laughs> giant a, cosmic marble. cosmic marble. And I think maybe that's putting me into a particular headspace. All right. Well, we, uh, we can stop. It was great talking that's to you. It's so nice talking to you. Uh, 
Go see Lady Bird. It's open uh, across the country. It's a beautiful movie, uh, elevating the human spirit. That's that's the best we can do right now uh, in, in our individual ways. Elevate the human spirit. Make it important. Make it vital. Make it worth it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm gonna play some. I'm gonna play some dark, elevating guitar, slightly psychedelic, but with the three chord progression that is uh, hypnotizing and relieving to me, and at this point, tedious, but in a good way. Yeah. 